One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, Season 3. Glad to be back. How you guys doing? Doing great. Yeah. Doing well. All right. Well, that's been great. We'll see you next time on the... T- <laughs> Just you a guys brief are really, check-in. You guys are real chatty this week, aren't you? <laughs> we'll, we'll get There's there. just so much to say. I mean... Yes, yes. There's always... I'm such there's an interesting so person. Yeah. What well, I, what do you say when someone says, how are you doing? Great. Well, that's what we said. I know. I just like... Uh, you know, I just like... What's the word? Pulling your leg? Oh, okay. Yeah. I could unearth all of the emotional baggage I've been carrying all week. Is yeah, that that, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. I'd like make, to use make this ben time feel very to vulnerable. confess the uh, rage <laughs> I've been harboring against Jeremy Boyd. It's understandable. Understandable. I keep a tight lid on it. <laughs> Speaking of Jeremy Boyd, that's me. I'm uh, your host, Jeremy. This is... Uh, I'm Alex. And of course, we've got... Uh, old Benny. Old Ben Inglis with us here today. The uh, Christian nationalist, uh, hateful, horrible, horrible human being, Ben. Glad to have you. Glad. Yeah, well, <laughs> no one else will have me, so I'm glad to be here. <laughs> you don't need other You're people. You're my last bastion of relevance in this cold, cruel world. <laughs> you don't need other people. You just need us. Well, we're glad to be back and uh, glad to be continue to be sponsored by Upper 40 Studio. Faithful sponsors. Faithful sponsor. Now, is it my understanding that there's going to be some new content coming out in the in the near future as well? I don't yeah. know if you guys want to do a, a plug for that. Or? Well, he just uh, he just dropped a new video, <clears throat> the folklorist did on his YouTube channel. If you want to check that out, folklorist music. Um, follow him on Twitter as well, folklorist music, and he just dropped a great video. I think he's been working on this song for a couple of years since they lost their daughter, and uh, just a great song about. Not only the the trials and sorrows of life, but God's faithfulness in the midst of it and His goodness to us in suffering. So, yeah, it's been check stuck that in out. my head all week. Yeah, me too. I have to check it out. Yeah, check it out on the way home. All right, and our unofficial sponsor, of course, Kawartha Classical Christian School. the The school year is up and running. Uh, it's going great, from what I can tell. Yeah, I popped in the other day to say hi to everybody, and uh, there was. Just learning happening everywhere. It was fantastic. Everywhere you look. Everywhere you look. Somebody's learning something. And I was just sitting in a chair waiting for someone to talk to me. And there you were. Darn there it. I was. <laughs> oh, yes. It was uh, part of God's plan that I would just wander in while you were was bored. Staring at the window. <laughs> anyway, very thankful for all of the teachers for Principal Auger and all the volunteers who help there to train up these kids and to uh, not hand them over to the uh, government schools. So a great place, a great place for uh, kids to be learning. And we're happy to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's get on to it. What are we What are we talking about today? Beauty. Beauty. Well, you, why I mean, don't you tell us? here, right? Yeah, that's why Ben's here. <laughs> yeah, that's, hey, you asked me to come. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what led to this? You reached out this week and you said, hey, let's talk about beauty in the arts. Well, I, I think it's it's a topic I think about a lot. And last weekend, I popped up to a couple of the um, 
exhibits for the Kawartha Studio Tour, whatever the fall studio tour that they have. Mm-hmm. And uh, Krista and I went to the Peterborough Art Gallery, and the main uh, the main um, display, the main uh, exhibit was from uh, some artist I'd never heard of, but it was uh, some of the ugliest, most meaningless stuff I'd ever I'd ever encountered. And it seems this seems to be the pattern when I do try and go to museums or galleries is you're confronted with this um, quote unquote art uh, that is purely subjective and makes no attempt at craft or beauty. Um, If sometimes there'll be craft involved uh, or some type of, you know, subjective meaning or idea from the, from the artist. So I just got all riled up and I thought, you know what? I want to talk about this with the guys see what they have to think. I'm sure you guys have had similar experiences being confronted with modern art. Yeah. Actually, the last time we went to the Peterborough Art Gallery was about 10 or 11 years ago. And I remember one kind of uh, installation in particular, was it was a pedestal on which a jar of jam had been tipped over and there was a spoon in it. And uh, I, I remember feeling that. I remember feeling uh, cheated and deceived. And of course, there was the um, the artist statement on the wall, right? Yeah. Which is about nine thousand words explaining all of the mm-hmm. significance behind this. Um, but it, it feels like there's kind of well, there has been for a number of years since the modern art movement has kind of taken over. But this kind of universal deception at work, right? Mm-hmm. Where I as as I I don't I don't think I'm a I'm not a highbrow. I don't understand all of what art is necessarily. I, I would consider myself a layperson where it concerns art. But why is it that I, any art gallery I go into these days, I'm met with incomprehensible nothingness. Mm-hmm. And I'm supposed to, I'm told I'm supposed to say that it's beautiful, but it's deconstructive and it's ugly and uh, it's it seems to be opposed to beauty, right? Well, and even if we move out from the, um, you know, hallowed halls of the art museums. People can see this in our architecture, mm-hmm. right? If you um, if you look at the way that even simple residential buildings are built now versus, you know, <clears throat> maybe in the uh, 20s was probably a high point before the war and the shortage of lumber and stuff. And then back again, eh, 50s, not so much, but say the 20s, early 30s. Um, you know, the level of detail that was put into the homes and 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 de- all the features, right? Like architecture now means something different. When you get an architect, it's almost like they use CAD drawing software or whatever they're using now, and they throw some things together in a 3D modeling, but it's not it's not actually a um an artist. It's not an it's not an artist isn't required to do that job. Now, people often then hire a designer or something that fills in the gaps. But um you look at our public buildings, mm-hmm. even in our town, um, is it Prince George Schoolers uh in the East City, which was just shut down, they built a, a right. compare those two buildings. Yeah. Right, it's like one admittedly needed some um, upkeep as far as I think the plumbing and electrical and all that, but it was a beautiful school, beautiful yeah. like massive ceilings, brick. huge brick yeah. arches. Your classic, um, your classic, you know, school. 
Yeah. What, all of that is a liability now, right? It's, yeah. It's all um, wasted space. Yeah. It's, uh, it affects the R value. It's like yeah. we, we can only build functionally as you, we don't have any um, awareness of so, beauty or its importance. So this, this is getting into one of the differences in our understanding of beauty and its function that beauty is seen as a superfluous thing. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't serve a purpose. And so it's it's not utilitarian for us to it's just costly. Mm-hmm. So we think in terms of costs. Mm-hmm. Um now certainly part of this is the fact that the cost of labor has gone through the roof. So when you you know back in the day the cost of labor is much much lower. So you can afford to engage in what would be seen as frivolous things. Yeah. Now. Stucco ceilings yes. and, and you know, crown molding and They're all that. They're time stuff. consuming, not yeah. necessarily <clears throat> material consuming. And that's what the cost is now. So acknowledging that that is the case, even when we do sink money into something, look at Zosky College at Trent oh. University. I mean, Trent University is 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 ugly anyways. They were trying to go for a modern take on of the Oxford school system right. in classic art. They, so they did a modern... So they made it look like communist Russia. Yes. Yeah. They, yeah. If so you they did mix, the opposite of it. If yeah. you take Oxford <laughs> and communism and put them together, that's a good analogy. That's what Trent looks like. But there is at least, it's got a unique vibe. Like Trent, there's nowhere else like Trent, right? Then they build a new college that literally is a yellow building that looks like cheese. Like it just looks like a, a piece of Swiss Is that the cheese. one that's sort of turned on its side a little bit? It's a, it's on the river, the East yeah. Bank across the yeah. river. And so this is something that they dumped a ton of money in. So you can't say they were saving costs. Or you even look at the art, even in Ottawa, the art gallery in building. Or the ROM. The ROM, yeah. It's like they're hideous, <clears throat> you hideous look at, buildings. You, you look at the ROM from uh, whatever that North-South Street is, and it's beautiful. And you go around the corner and you see... Uh, the modern section of it. And it's just jutting out like this. It's terrible. Yeah. It's horrible. But, uh, I guess, I, I guess, but the, the, the average person going in, like I, I was listening to people in the gallery talk about the, the, uh, exhibit and people were using words like beautiful and lovely and all this to describe it. Uh, but to me, I'm thinking this is, it's just like brutalist, meaninglessness. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because people are trying to find some beauty in it, uh, which I'm sure the artist would laugh at the idea of trying to find beauty in their work, Mm. right? Because they're not trying to create something beautiful. Yeah. So for them, that would be such a bourgeoisie sort of take on art. What are you trying to find beauty? Yeah. So maybe people are just trying to find it because naturally we want to find beauty in those things. I, I think there's like... Uh, the emperor with no clothes syndrome. I honestly think that's a big part yeah. of it where it's like right. when you're around artists, you're in proximity to art culture. The worst thing you can say is that I, that doesn't I seem it. beautiful to me um, because immediately you are identifying yourself as like, yeah, boor, right? Yeah. Someone who just doesn't understand. Oh, you and, just want to see pictures of bowls of apples and fruit and stuff. like. Yeah. But the yeah. moment someone says, look, um, this isn't beautiful. And there's actually, and Schaefer laid out a, a kind of a paradigm for how we can assess art. Art is not above critique. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this isn't beautiful based on these criteria, right? I bet you'd have a bunch of people saying, oh yeah, that's true, right? But no one wants to take, it's it's kind of a microcosm of all of right. culture where no one wants to be the first person to say it. But you, mm. but it's, it's a relativism that's creeped into our aesthetic 
criticisms, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, just as though there's no truth, there's no objective truth rooted in a transcendent reality, that there is no objective beauty according to a secular materialist worldview, right? That like what in order to judge something, there has to be a standard to judge it by. So what could that standard be? And how can you say that this is more beautiful than that? So that's a huge problem. Yeah. Then the other problem, which is, and I would say that's um, a symptom of just unbelief and insanity. But then there is the issue of, okay, even if we acknowledge that there is a standard and there's an objective standard to truth and beauty, clearly there is there is some truth to the, uh, to the adage of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. There is some truth to the subjective reception of something is beautiful. Um, but that's been taken to, to kind of individualistic an extreme, extremes, yeah, which yeah. is to say the um, beauty is only yeah. in the eye of the beholder, which isn't true. So I, th- <clears throat> I think maybe back up, you know, you referenced um, Psalm 27, four and the psalmist desiring, that's what he's doing, desiring to behold the beauty of the Lord. And um, beauty is one of God's qualities. Mm-hmm. And and we probably could say that beauty beauty is um, a characteristic in one sense of all of God's qualities. That God's what what makes God beautiful is His moral perfection, right? His His loveliness, His intrinsic loveliness. So there has to be a, a, an actual objective standard. One of the ways that I've de- I've defined beauty is the loveliness or worthiness of something that compels us towards it right, towards that thing or towards something higher. And I would say with God, God's beauty is different, and then it compels us towards Him. It's innate, it's intrinsic. Whereas us, as with all creation, it's reflective. So the beauty in our creation is meant to serve as a reflection of the ultimate standard of beauty, which is God. So it ought to move us away from ourselves. It ought to point us to something deeper and truer and more lasting and more 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 real which is god and this is where human art goes off the rails right when it's no longer seen as a reflection of something but the embodiment of it itself mm-hmm. and that's why you work we see the you know the pornification of our culture it's the worship of the human body in itself and then that thing itself gets distorted um I mean, the way that we see God's beauty most fully displayed is in in Jesus Christ. And he is the full manifestation of God's nature and his character and the full the, the perfect represented representation of his being, the word tells us. So there's a sense in which when we gaze upon Christ, we are gazing upon the beauty of the Lord mm-hmm. in all of his perfections. And so Christian so what I'm trying to say is Christians do care about beauty and we do care about loveliness and God being a god of beauty and a, a, of loveliness has created a world to reflect that in mm. his image bearers but not only in us in creation. I mean one of the things I've thought is I wonder if there is a I wonder if it's a coincidence that as we move away from nature we also lose this. Because when you're when you're when you're to see something beautiful, if you wander into some weirdly lit room with a square on the wall, it's like when's the last time you saw a mountain? 
Or when's the last yeah. time you saw an ocean? Or when's the last time you saw a river? Or when's the last time you went for in a through the forest on a fall day? Yeah. Like you are impoverished. Like if, if, you, mm-hmm. if you if you think that's beautiful, how aesthetically impoverished mm-hmm. you have to be? Yeah, I, I I think the kind of rabid urbanization we're seeing is uh, an extension of Romans one, right? Right. When you escape, like when you were in nature. You have no arguments left. When you're in a beautiful forest or in front of a waterfall or, or a mountain, right? It's like all of your little arguments against the existence of God just, just fade away. Mm-hmm. But um, so when you're in nature, you're, inevit- you're inevitably confronted with the majesty and, and Paul says the eternal nature of God, right? Yeah. So it makes sense that there's this, it seems like there's this retreat, right? Um, and it's been going on for a while, I think, away from nature, away from the country. And actually, um, the, the, the villainization of the country and, country right. and the rural lifestyle yes. and all of that, it's, it's part of the patriarchy or mm-hmm. white, whiteism, whatever it is. And there's just been retreat to the cities and uh, uh, an intentional building up. Uh, you see, and especially in bigger cities, the, the skyscrapers, right? You can't even see the sky. Mm-hmm. You can't see stars. So mm-hmm. you can literally go through your entire day, your entire week, not being exposed to one natural form. Yeah. And it's a way, I think, that uh, especially in North America, where we've insulated ourselves from the divine. Mm-hmm. And that architecture no longer has a concern for beauty. No. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's, it's like, well, if we were doing this in a deeply Christian culture, our cities would look very that's different. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And and um you you look back into uh kind of gothic architecture and and very much natural forms, mm-hmm. light, uh curves imitating kind of the branches of trees, mm-hmm. right? There's um you can't get away from imitation. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And and God created nature. It's it's kind of the pinnacle of beauty. And it mm-hmm. would make yeah. sense that downstream we would be imitating that. The problem is that we've we're trying to imitate we're from the ground up. Mm-hmm. We're trying to to rebuild the wheel, and the mm-hmm. wheel sucks because mm-hmm. God's already done a perfect form mm-hmm. of it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That uh, documentary I recommended to you by Roger Scruton, Why mm-hmm. Beauty Matters, he gets into architecture a lot. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how uh, he, he's, I forget which, I think he's in London, but he goes through this little neighborhood that still has uh, these older houses, in it, and he's just showing like, the, the window, the shapes of the windows and the doors are human proportions. Mm. Everything is like proportional to human ratios and all mm. these sort of things. And you look at it like it's just a lovely place. And then he goes to these office buildings that were built in the 70s and the 80s, just big rectangles with like office cubicles in them or whatever. And, and they're all rotting away because nobody wants to rent space in them Yeah, yeah because that's they're fascinating. ugly. That's People, fascinating. It's, and it's almost like a, a, it's dehumanizing. Yeah. It's like, how is an inanimate object dehumanizing? Cause how can it be humanizing? But you just mentioned one of the qualities, like why does a Kinkati painting with a cottage look more humane apart from the nature? Well, it's human proportions. It's like that door and that <clears> window are clearly, this is, it, beauty we used to think of in the ancients is fittedness. Mm. It's like, well, that that dwelling looks like it's suited. It's fitted to a human. This place looks like it's suited for a machine. Like it looks like when you walk into an office building, it's like you're no longer. There's something that's lost. Like this, this is not suited to reflect our nature mm-hmm. and what we're actually for. And his argument in the movie is when you when you try and 
build something with pragmatism or utilitarianism as your basis, yeah, it doesn't work because yeah. people don't want to use it. No, but when you build something with beauty in mind, which to all you know appearances has no value, mm-hmm. you actually get something that's valuable because yes. people want to use it. Yeah, and it actually enriches the people that go into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and human. Um, while avoiding kind of um, the reduction to sentimentality, right? And you kind of you kind of get that a bit with the the Thomas Kincaid uh, yeah. paintings, right? Where it's kind of like the the idealization, um, but also kind of like this very qu- quaintness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where it, I think in a, a, a Christian worldview, you have um, uh, you know, human proportions in, in residential architecture. And then you still have room for where you go to the church, right? Yeah. And and it's 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 lifting your eyes up. And, and the it's, doors are 15 you are, feet tall. Yeah, and, you're reminded of your smallness in proportion yeah. to the but divine not because, as well. But not because you are a consumer or that you are a part of the machine, but because you are a creature. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Do you it know what I mean? It, yeah. When you walk into a cathedral, you do so as a creature, and it's yeah. intended to remind you. When you walk into a 1960s communist bureaucrat place you're reminded that you're a number yeah. do you know what i mean that you comrade like you're not a human yeah, in both places is humanizing yeah. yeah yeah so one of the things i wanted to say about the beauty of the lord too um we're talking about aesthetic beauty but there's a moral beauty when mm-hmm. when david desired to see the beauty of the lord no one has seen god the word tells us that god is spirit so what was he doing well i think that it, it says in psalm 19 the same word um, we could we could trace as uh, meditate on. He says, "I'll meditate in Psalm one nineteen upon your precepts. I'll fix my eyes on your ways. I'll delight in your statues. I'll not forget your word." Well, in the in God's house was the law, mm-hmm. and so I think David was meditating upon the law, and it is in the word that he gazed upon the beauty of the Lord. It wasn't actually, I mean, the temple was different, that there weren't statues, right? That there weren't originally, that they're, they're you know, in the Holy of Holy, yeah. like what's there different? They're cherubim. But, yeah, they're cherubim, but it's like, this isn't an image to our gods. Right. What, what served, you're not allowed to have an image of God, you have the law of God. Yeah. And so we're, we're not meant to erect, and this tells us something about the way that art is meant to be done. Art is meant to be a reflection of who God is. God is not a reflection of our imagination, mm-hmm. right? And that's what that's what the, I guess, the inversion is in modern art, that it's a reflection of us and not a reflection of Him. So, kind of practically, where we could go with this, if we if we, part of the reason that the Reformation birthed such an explosion in art is because the Reformation birthed an explosion in the Word. And when you have an explosion of the word, you have an explosion of exposure to the loveliness of God, who he is and what he's done through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have a response of praise that one of the ways that works out is in the desire to um, glorify him through art, through song, through painting, through architecture, and and all things. And so we, we can't start producing good if we just keep this conversation on the aesthetic level of like why we like this and don't like this, we'll never produce good art because good art is going to be the overflow of a renewed culture around right. Christ. Right. And there's just no way around that. Yeah. And this is what you see in the cathedrals. Yeah. Right. They weren't just, it wasn't just some guy sitting down 
trying to design something one day, but it was no. the, it was the end product of hundreds of years yeah. of a Christian culture. Or Bach, why do we why do we listen to uh, Handel's Messiah every year still? It's like you know who you know like remember Carly Rae Jepsen like your song was number one forever. Do you guys even know who that is? Name sounds familiar. Uh, well, that's right. It's like what five ten years ago. No one cares, but we we still millions of people probably around the world still go and listen to Handel's Messiah every mm-hmm. single Christmas. People who aren't even Christian. Because there was something timeless and lasting and objectively beautiful about that, the overflow. Yeah. Of, because the, because, because the it's re, it's reflective of something real. It's reflective of something real, and maybe this is my question for you. Um, and transition to more practical side of doing art. I was talking to to Tristan beforehand about why Christian music and Christian movies often suck. It's because they're not real. So yeah. the the actual. And it's not just the acting. Like the acting sucks because the acting feels like acting. It's a it's a sermon with a drama play attached to it. Yeah, it's it's like that is not what happiness looks like. That's not what sadness looks like. That's not what anger looks like. Like so, when we say that art has to reflect what's real, I mean part of one of the, one of the ways that we can judge that is does it fit the story of scripture in what. Um, we were created for in creation and our purpose, what went wrong. So I think art should have this dialectic going on and, and what we're, what the solution is in Christ and what the end goal is in the new heavens. I think there ought to be this conversation going on all the time of, or this tension between the way things ought to be, but the way things actually are. Yeah. And when you neglect one of those, it becomes inauthentic. You either get a utopian vision. Yes. Or I don't know what the other opposite would give us, but uh, both of them aren't taking everything into account. Yes, and you're that one artist you mentioned. That's what the um, sentimentality is. It's not real, and it's not real because um, that's not actually the ideal. It's like a fake ideal. Like, do you know what I'm trying to meet? Like yeah, a it's, romantic- it's a return to romanticism, or it's a return to the 50s. A lot of these Christian movies, that's what it is. Yeah, It's like, remember in the good old days when like little yeah. Johnny, like you know, brought his father the paper and it was just like, it's, it's not deep enough. No. It's like, it's, it's not just a matter of like, we'll find beauty if we go back to traditionalism. This is why scripture warns us against that. It's when we go back to the, the bedrock, to the truth. But right? the irony is that wasn't even people's experience in the fifties. Like, that's why it's not good because if that actually was someone's experience, it's real and it would probably be good. But it's a romanticism is picking out the things you like, making them better than they actually were, and leaving out the things you don't. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. And whereas good art, I mean, this is my gripe with even contemporary Christian music too. Um, a lot of the artists, even who claim to be Christians, and at least their churches are really unhealthy, what they have going for them is that they actually are... Um, authentic expressions of emotion, let's say that. And I just, I, I can't stand hearing emotionally stifled people sing to the living God. It's like, look, if we yell and laugh and cry and all of these things for all of these other things in our life, why don't we do this for the Lord? I mean, this is what the Psalms are. The mm-hmm. Psalms are a, a deep, um, a, 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 maybe I shouldn't use emotion, I should say expression, authentic expression whether it be anger, frustration, despair, um, uh, rejoicing, like all of these things, the Christian expression, um, 
Christian expression should be sincere. And that so much of contemporary Christian music and the reform world just comes across as very insincere. And I don't mean be, that's not tied to a particular kind of music because I mean, you can sing a cappella hymns that are very sincere and very expressive, but you can also just sing songs that are not expressive in any way that don't, they're not real. They're not good art in that sense. But um, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of a, a gripe that I have. But how do you think we overcome that? Like, how do you get out of the cheese fest that is currently Christian top forty? I, well, I think we need to. I mean, it's not just this. I think the answer is is multifaceted. I mean, we need revival. We need yeah. reformation. Uh, that's that's one of the main things. And part of that is a pushback against the anti-intellectualism that has characterized modern Christianity, right? Yeah. We're not deep thinkers. And you can't make deep art if you're not no. a deep thinker. Um, there has to be good doctrine. That's yes. right. And part of deep thinking is biblical <laughs> thinking, and biblical thinking is a holistic view of, mm-hmm. of reality, right? It's but not- we've equated like good doctrine with cold... Um, emotionless guys yeah. reading reading giant books. Yeah, and that's right? just and pseudo-intellectualism. It's it not, is. Yeah. I mean, it should, if we truly understand God better, it should actually deepen and make our worship more expressive. But do you think this is part of, okay, this is, a, one thing I think is that you have the separation of the teachers and the artists that isn't good. No, because and the problem is a lot of the guys in the pulpits in the reformed world are really good teachers, but they but they're not good artists, and but they and they make their temperamental preferences the kind of litmus test of what is good and acceptable as far as art goes, whether that's aesthetic things or whether that's um, music or whatever. It goes back to education as well, right? But you have and then you have all the artists and these traditions who are not solid on teaching, yeah. but they're amazing artists, yeah, objectively. They've, they've been encouraged to and they're follow allowed their feelings to do that. and express their feelings their whole life without tethering it to it's, something. Yeah, it's yes. imagination right. divorced from doctrine. That's right. right? That's yeah. where we had the two poles and the yeah. reformed versus the leftist progressive. Yeah. yeah. And there needs to be a, there needs to be like, I'll just use the local church as an example. Um, if, we all talk about singing the Psalter today, which by the way, no one does, by the way, like you can't, you can't separate the melody from the lyrics and call it a song. Okay. You know what, if you just started reading some lyrics of some, you know, classic rock song and making up the melody, no one in the right mind would say you're singing that song. It's like, yeah, I am. The words are right here. It's like, that's not a song. Words are not a song. Melody goes with it. And no one knows the melody to the Psalms. You're not singing the Psalms, okay? You're singing the words that people sung back then. That's fine. But a lot of people are talking about singing this, the Psalter when they're not. But if the actual Psalter has such a range of human expression, mm. and it has, it has loud symbols, you know, and shouting... And also has stillness of heart and quiet and, and personal, intimate, individual encounters with God, too. And you have the congregation and individual. There's such a range of expression in the Psalms that is it not reflected in the churches. And the places that typically reflect this better as far as expression are untethered from the substance of the psalm. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be 
in the body of Christ, a, a gathering back together of form and substance, right? There needs to be people who develop. And, the, and in our churches, we need to encourage that. We've talked about this, whether it be with literature, whether it be with music, whether it be with visual art. A lot of conservatives think that just happens. Like in our my tradition, more on the more conservative end of evangelical, how many artists get together on a Saturday night before Sunday to practice for an hour or on a Sunday morning just before the service? Well, if that's the case, you're relying on hopefully some of these people um, have played and practiced during the week, right? But it's like you wouldn't expect the pastor to get up there and make something up after reading his Bible for an hour. Mm-hmm. But why do you think the artists shouldn't have to do that? It's like, well, people in conservative circles have such a low view. Like the progressives all get the artists now. Like the left has all the artists. The conservatives have no artists anymore because we just, we don't know what art is. We don't value it. We don't, I mean, we're talking about Bach and Handel and stuff. These guys were paid. They were commissioned to do what they did. They spend their life doing it. We also don't have... I mean, we're trying to get back there. Part of it is we've just lost a lot. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I've got this idea. Like I've got this idea now. I can, I can meld these two. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I was mentioning education earlier. Mm-hmm. It's like we educate our pastors in a way that um, perpetuates that dichotomy. Yeah, right. Where it's just like. Um, how many like how many of us had classes in seminary on like aesthetics. the great books <laughs> yeah. or or the classics or aesthetics or yeah. music yeah. right the history yeah. of music none of that yeah. it, this is uh, Joe Boot mentioned this last season that uh, when the seminaries um, or the seminaries being a response to losing all the institutions to the liberals became such a narrow field of study you didn't you didn't have to learn these things yeah, but this is—I mean, this is why we're concerned with a classical education for kids because they grow up learning all these different facets and seeing how they work together. Yeah, they're they're singing, they're learning how to read music, they're learning about the great uh, art and visual art, literature yeah. and yeah. visual art, and so hopefully they're going to be able to incorporate yeah. this a little better. So part of the recovery <laughs> of this is acknowledging that there's no shortcuts back. No, it's like we've got to start from the ground up, yes. and that's not easy. And even supporting artists, yeah. like even, I, I mean, how many band stories have I heard of totally, you know, pagan bands, but one thing I'll give them is they worked hard at their craft. Like these guys, since they were eight, were playing guitar and then they were in their garage and then they did this and you listen to their story and you're like, yeah, that guy's an artist. Like that's what he cares about in life. Like he lived, a, he, he sacrificed everything in his life in order to do that. Yeah. And, and not just to commercialize, like we've talked about this. Now you can kind of make it a music. If you're just, there's a commercial kind of um, formula mm-hmm. that you can get into. Yeah. To get the brand. Yeah. yeah but I went back and I've, I've been listening to a lot of like the seventies and that type of thing. There was no music industry as there is today. And it was like a lot of these people, they just were artists. Like they'd be doing this if they made no money at it, they'd be working at coffee shops. They'd be whatever, you know? Yeah. And you need to, if the church wants these, wants art and wants beauty, you need to prioritize equipping mm-hmm. yeah, and, and encouraging and artists. Part, and part of the inevitable slide of materialism is the slide into um, kind of an ugly collectivism, yeah. right? Or um, uh, like 
when you go back, even if you're looking at universities like Oxford and Cambridge, they're, they're, they're made up of many different colleges. Yeah. There's not one thing, right? And that actually, wherever you have a Christ-saturated culture, you get a healthy diversity, right? Yeah. Whereas as we have rejected God in our nation, uh, as much as we talk about diversity, what we have is an ugly collectivism, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. We've got these big Borgs, of whether it's political parties, whether it's music, whether it's art, it's just like, it's all one thing, mm-hmm. right? And there's not yeah. this, um, the truth liberates and actually creates this kind of healthy diversity. Mm-hmm. And that's I, where you get yeah. beautiful things. I think of this often because when we were kids, at least when I was a kid, because I'm a little older than you guys, but uh, there was, there were like, there were so many things happening on a, countercultural underground level that you could tap into like there's bands now that uh, i'll listen to at home that probably never had a, a record deal but they have fans all over the world mm-hmm. yeah um um same thing with with artists and that sort of thing there was there was i think of uh, our love for mystery science theater mm. 3000 yeah like that couldn't get made today you yeah. know there's like there, there's these there's these small groups of creative people that made something really awesome innovation true innovation, innovation and, right, and yeah. people liked it and it was successful uh, apart from the borg right yeah. but you like you kind of can't do that anymore. no you got to pay homage right which you is can't. which is wild because everybody has the tools to create something but now we thought that would liberate us and and now everybody can create something and, and have their own small audience but it's like it's so atomized i i don't know it just it it's become this collective thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is a result of uh, just our materialism, right? Yeah. Just, uh, it's ugly. <clears throat> I yeah. want to go back to what you said about all art is imitation, because this is a different view of art. Mm. And the modern man feels the truth is, is inside of yeah. me. Right. And reality is inside of me and I need to simply be able to express it. Well, yeah. we, we've thought the same thing about art for a long time yeah. to say that you're creative is to say that there's a secret seed inside of you that needs to come out. Well, you know, we, you know, to the public schools now, they take away line paper and they tell them to write in circles and explore and this type of thing. It's like, no children need to be taught to write inside the lines. They need to be taught the order mm-hmm. and the structure, and then they can develop that to do something. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you piano, like you hate piano. You're very good at it, but you hate it because you had to do it against your will a lot. I don't hate it. I, I, yeah, I oh, think this that's is a, a bit, development. No, no, no. I've, I've never said I hated it. I, yeah, I was personally um, traumatized, traumatized <laughs> and abused. Not by any teacher, but by the music itself. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was, uh, I don't want that on the record. But the accumulation <laughs> of creative skills actually takes work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It takes practice. It takes repetition. Yeah. There's an order to it that these are values that are lost in our culture. Mm. Like people don't even show up to their job. We're not going to have people who can design cathedrals yeah. and music based on, just on their creative potential. No one has that. Okay. Like some people, de- depending on their abilities, are way ahead of the curve than other people. But they are, nobody lives even close to their potential without work, mm-hmm. without discipline, without the. And, and how many years? Like you've done bands, you've played all over, you've, you've toured across overseas. Like when did you start playing music? Uh, I started playing music when I was. 
12 and it was piano. And yeah. I hated it. And you weren't good enough to <laughs> tour at that point. No. Exactly. It took a whole lot of practice. Exactly. But 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 like and what how old were you when you were touring? Like 10 years later at least, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like we this is the other thing. <clears throat> Everyone now wants the wants the the hot body quick. We want the answers quickly. Yeah. We want the art like even the fact that you can all the tools we have now at home. I mean, I feel like I got this audio gear and I come to you and you're like, "Wow, you you know, I built one of those 10 years ago. Yeah. Like you used to have to, you <laughs> yeah. know, have some competencies yeah. and now you can just go on Amazon and buy something with a microphone and put it in your it's dog. It's kind of this pseudo mastery that techno, yes, the techno revolution has given us, right? Yes. It's like everything's pretend like, oh, what is, you know, uh, what was the Reformation? What's Marxism? We've gone to Wikipedia. Yeah. Right? We read three paragraphs and suddenly we're a master, right? Yeah. Or, you know, I want to create art. I'll get Adobe Photoshop and yeah. uh, create some art, right? Mm -hmm. It's just all of these shortcuts we've built for mastery. When we're not act, we don't have the discipline that mastery mm -hmm. takes, right? Yeah. And even, even if we look at pop culture, and I'm maybe different in this room, that I actually don't think pop music, I actually think there's a value to pop music because it's popular. Like, I actually think the fact that it's popular points to something good about it. Even if there's other bad things about it. It's like, look, if people remember the melody and it sticks in their head, like, that's not easy to do, you know? But all of those people, we say pop music is whatever. It's like, yeah, but the guy who produced that album didn't just get up there and say it. And he didn't just get yeah. there because he's pretty. That guy's a monster. Like whoever's in the studio actually producing that. And often the songwriters, like we talk about Chris Stapleton, that guy was writing songs for other people for 10 years, 20 years, you know what I mean? Before he ever came out, like those guys are freaks. So even the art that we do produce is built upon the discipline and the effort and There's the labor somewhere of someone. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Like it can't, and even this, when I say you buy technology, it's like there's some hyper geek somewhere who designed this thing to be simple for, for morons, right? And so you can't get around the need, is what I'm saying, for skills. Yeah. And you can't accumulate skills apart from discipline, mm -hmm. prolonged labor. But yeah, I mean, one of the dangers though, and this is what C.S. Lewis talks about in The Abolition of Man, is that when when we talk about uh, he, he used the example of like flight, you know, and uh, man's mastery over nature simply means like a very select few people's mastery over nature. And then they're using that mastery to oppress other people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And so we, I mean, we kind of get into that. And that's one of the reasons why even with all this gear, even with all the technology at the, at your fingertips, we still can't create anything like, you know, we used to. Yeah. Um, so and I think I think the reason this is important is not just because we want it. The beauty points to the loveliness and the desirability of God ultimately. And when you are when you as Christians, when you are not producing good art, it is a symptom of a lack of desire. Like it is because with desire comes an impulse to express. Mm -hmm. Like it's just unavoidable that you see someone you love, you feel compelled to express praise of them, whether it be athletic qualities or artistic qualities or aesthetic qualities, whatever it is, when there's no impulse to express beauty because of God and the world that he's made, there's a problem. Yeah, it's an ugly dissonance, <clears throat> right? Why, why are we talk about the beauty of Christ and yet 
um, what we make is so unbeautiful. Mm-hmm. Right? It's so mm-hmm. awful, right? And that, I think that is the most devastating testimony that we could we could have, mm-hmm. right? You say yeah. Christ is beautiful. Why? Why are all your movies and your music and your art? It's just not beautiful. Why right? are all of our church buildings so sterile? Yeah, exactly. I, this yeah. is this is a thorn in my craw. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I go to a church that's not particularly nice looking you know Mm -hmm. it's uh there's it's got some nice features there's some wood on the inside yeah yeah. but you think like bare walls Mm -hmm. uh pale colors like there's just it's it's meant to be kind of a uh, unoffensive yeah um and you think of these cathedrals like i think you know going to church in a beautiful place every week would actually help with this impulse, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as long as it was, it continued to be grounded in in good doctrine and scripture, mm-hmm. and a, and a true uh, love and, and adoration for for Christ. Um, well, Christ can't be reduced to an, a philosophy that he is desirable, right? And beauty is beauty is meant to point towards that. Mm-hmm. And when nothing is beautiful, it's like has has Christ been reduced to an idea, a philosophy? In our minds, you know, and and I think in the conservative end of things, that can be the case. And we need to not surrender the aesthetic, um, all the all of the aesthetic to people who don't believe the truth. Yeah. I think I think it's it goes back to the kind of uh, the pietist the pietism mm-hmm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like I can admire Christ as beautiful in my heart. Uh, and it never is expressed, right? right? Yeah, it's like a Gnosticism, yes, yeah, a hyper-spirituality. Yeah, a pietistic, personal, subjective. Yeah, I think that, that's a big part of it. That sees no value in beauty, mm-hmm. right? It just It's almost, the hyper-spiritual reduces the material world to a utilitarian thing. It's like, if it doesn't do this for me, there's no point. Yeah. Because there's no point to any of this anyways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there's a lot that needs to happen. And I think... I think maybe wrap that up is that one of our great witnesses to the world um, will be the value that we place on Christ and his loveliness and the way that we express that. Mm -hmm. I think beauty draws people. Absolutely. And and it's not just your bare intellectualism. It's not just your reasoning with people. It's the loveliness of your family, the loveliness of your community, the loveliness of your spaces it's you beautify everything you around you as you get the the, the beauty of our voices. We've had people come to church mm-hmm. and be like, I've never heard people do that. I mean, today, when do people ever hear other people sing? Yeah. No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. Music is, is uh, something you consume. Yeah. Like a TV show or something like that. It's not something you participate in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. We need to pray for the Lord to raise up artists. We need to support artists. And um, if and prioritize, yeah, Christian art because it's it's lacking. All right, so you can send your checks to my house. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All of my money, <laughs> I'm joking. I don't need your money. Um, <clears throat> what about uh, other thoughts? Any other thoughts, guys? No. This plane is landed. I don't think we're going to get it up again. Um. Favorite pieces of art? Favorite? Uh, I, I meant to bring you a novel. I forgot to bring you a novel. Mm. Ah, that's too bad. Th- there um, are. I don't even. This just shows how much I'm not well versed in this culture. But like, 
there's sections in the Messiah. What do you call those movements? I don't know exactly what they call yeah, them. There's, there's the arias, which are like the just the vocal pieces yeah, in between. So the there are. I think it's the aria. There are some sections. Like so, basically, seven or eight years ago, maybe it was before that. Uh, we were invited to attend the an actual choral production mm-hmm. of the Messiah, right? With all of the different you got altos and tenors and, and the soloists. Mm-hmm. And when I first got there, it was kind of like, man, three hours of this, like yeah. just people singing. Yeah. It's just it's almost another language, right? I was so estranged from this, and something clicked. I remember about two thirds of the way through, there was a particular, I get maybe an aria where it was almost, um, I'd never heard anything as beautiful as it. The way mm-hmm. that the sopranos and the tenors, the harmonies between them, it was like someone had opened a window and this beautiful smell just came in the way. It was just, it just floored me. Mm-hmm. Um, so to this day, I felt like something changed to me in that moment where it was like the beauty. I love choral harmony yeah like listening too. to the king's choir or, or things oh, yeah. like that it's just um to me that is that is the epitome of of beauty for yep. me the, the excellent choral singing yeah, yeah. and uh I, i'm with you on the choral thing i love instrument instruments in music oh yeah yeah but i i just nothing is as beautiful as well done voices mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not a principal thing for me that I would prefer that. It's a I actually think it sounds better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um in in a certain context. But yeah. yeah. Messiah is great. I remember the first time I heard it live, I was actually kind of bored. Um and I by the end I was enjoying it more because you if you've never been to it before, you think, well, what is all this like it's stopping and starting. Mm-hmm. You get the big choir, it's yeah. all exciting, and then it stops yeah. and you get five minutes of the bass guy yeah. Going, oh, yeah, yeah. doing a little Ari all by himself <laughs> yeah. with just like very little background. So you kind of have to just get used to the rhythm of it. But there's, once you do, it's it's fantastic. There's that beautiful uh, part or movement where it's very grave and slow. And they're singing in Adam all since die. since by man came death. Yeah, or since man came death, and then in by Christ came all shall be made alive. Yeah, right. And the whole the whole choir explodes. Yeah, it's yeah. just like the tomb, the stone rolling away, and the light coming in. Well, I know what we're playing for our outro music today. <laughs> yeah. All right. But uh, that's an example in art that the form ought to match the substance. Yes, right. yeah, and this is where the world gets the form without the substance. And that's why I, I've noticed as I've matured, I can't listen to secular music without um, becoming bored of it very quickly yeah. or disheartened. You pine for substance. Yeah, that. like yeah. I listen and I'm yeah. like fired up about how catchy it is, but I actually lose that feeling of... Um, satisfaction very yeah. quickly because it's yeah. like who cares when you're singing about nothing yeah that's like it, it just yeah. doesn't matter or something that's counter to god's truth i mean that's even worse because yeah sometimes it's just nothing and you get bored sometimes you're like i used to love this song i just can't listen to it anymore. yeah this is garbage but so is substance without form mm-hmm. it's like there's something yeah. lacking like this doesn't go far enough like we yes we have a substance but yeah this the ex- form does not fit right. the, expression the expression does not lacking. fit yeah. And it's it leaves something in my soul longing and mm-hmm. disappointed and angsty and yeah. like it's like but I, I don't want to be listening to these people who are not expressing the right things. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. But I do. I have a visceral longing for that. Mm-hmm. 
that I find in certain certain expressions, like certainly the chorus and other parts of that movement. Um, and there's great contemporary hymns being written as well, but it's it is so rare. It's rare. It's it's rare, rare to yeah. have that song. Um, but there are hymns like even a mighty fortress. And, yeah, yeah. Um, there are there are so- Christmas carols. Oh, yeah. Christmas yeah. carols I find are, are our greatest hymns mm. in my in my estimation, and again the the form and the substance perfectly coincide, mm-hmm. and it it leaves me satisfied. Like it leaves me like I have I have expressed something that ought to be expressed in the way that it ought to be. Yeah, that reflects God's majesty and glory, and I'm just increasingly like. I long for that. Like I long to have more. It's not about it's not about the same reason these people go to the art galleries to feel cool about myself or to 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 bash on Christian artists or something as a pretentious. It's, it's not about ourselves at all. That's the yeah. problem. It's yeah. like it's one we are past meeting, ourselves. But yeah, it's worship. Yeah. Right? That is when we yeah. are most human. It's when yeah. we are ascribing worship in the form that worship was meant to take mm-hmm. to the all glorious God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. This has been great. I'm going to leave us uh, with a little something from Exodus 28. Then bring near to you Aaron, uh, Aaron your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. We'll see you next time on the Dominion Podcast. <laughs>